Man, you can just smell the desperation in the air with the Democrats and their impeachment absurdity. And I don't know, I don't know how they're so blissfully unaware that they are hurting themselves and doing nothing but delivering an early Christmas gift to the Trump campaign. I mean, impeachment is a wildly unpopular idea. It's politically absurd, and it reveals the Democrats' disdain for our Republican form of government because they're attempting to remove a duly elected president simply because they don't like him. All right, you guys, they finally did it. They finally got him. They finally found the thing that's gonna sink Donald Trump, and so they are celebrating. Oh, wait. Just like every other time they pretend they have some bombshell, it turns out to be a complete nothing burger. I don't like the phrase nothing burger. We use it too much. Nothing, no, nothing sandwich, nothing taco. So they, so they released this transcript. Trump authorized the release of the transcript, authorized completely unredacted release of the transcript. You know, this is the one that is supposed to show that Trump was promising favors to the new president of the Ukraine in exchange for investigating Joe Biden and thereby corrupting our elections. And uh, you would be shocked to hear, you would be shocked to hear, guess what? It was a total dud. It did not show Trump promising favors to the Ukrainian president in exchange for investigating Joe Biden. So now they're trying to say, uh, well, uh, 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 well, um, the transcript isn't enough. We need more. We need testimony from the whistleblower, whom we still don't know anything about. We don't know who this whistleblower is. We don't know what kind of knowledge this kind of this whistleblower has. And yet the Democrats have managed to build an impeachment inquiry or inquiry, as Maxine Waters would say, on an anonymous secondhand complaint. And this complaint describes a phone call we have the transcript of the phone call now. We can read the full unredacted version. So why do we need the whistleblower's description of this phone call? We have the unredacted version, and that unredacted version shows that Trump, interestingly, without a quid pro quo, because remember we were told this quid pro quo, that's the defining factor. That was supposed to be the, the damning element. Well, this document, this transcript actually said, quote, there's a lot of talk, this is Trump talking, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that, so whatever you can do with the Attorney General would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution, so if you can look into it, sounds horrible to me. So that was Trump to the Ukrainian Prime Minister. So we have the full phone call, that was part of the transcript, we have the whole thing, and it showed there was no quid pro quo. Quid pro quo, it's a, try to say that three times fast. So now they're saying, Oh, well, the quid pro quo doesn't matter. There is no quid pro quo necessary. <laughs> really, Adam Schiff? Because wasn't that the whole crux of your argument? Wasn't the whole point, as the Washington Post explains, the key issue would be proof of a quid pro quo? Well, there wasn't any quid pro quo. So now, now the Democrats are saying it doesn't matter? Now the Democrats... They're dissatisfied with the actual transcript of the call because it doesn't implicate the president in any way. So now the Democrats are saying, well, well the quid pro quo, that doesn't really matter. And in fact, it doesn't really matter what was actually said on the call, the entire call that we're investigating. What was said on that call doesn't matter. What is important is what the third party whistleblower is alleging, who may or may not, may or may not have direct knowledge of the situation. 
Uh, no, the whistleblower doesn't matter anymore. We have the phone call. We don't need a whistleblower's third-party account of a call that now we know exactly what was said in it. No, no, they say, you have to investigate it. And so Nancy Pelosi, with her teeth falling out of her face, so you can only understand about every third word that she said, insisted that even though Trump said he would and ultimately did give us the full phone call, the full transcript of the call, no, we still have to investigate the whistleblower's allegations about what allegedly happened on the phone call that we already have. I can say with authority the Trump administration's actions undermine both our national security and our intelligence and our protections of the whistleblowers, more than both. This Thursday, the acting DNI will appear before the House Intelligence Committee. At that time, he must turn over the whistleblower's full complaint to the committee. He will have to choose whether to break the law or honor his responsibility to the Constitution. I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. I'm directing our six committees to proceed with their investigations under that umbrella of impeachment inquiry. The president must be held accountable. No one is above the law. Clickety-clack, 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 clack, clack. That's, I mean, how, how is that the head of the House of Representatives? Oh, my gosh, America, we are in trouble. I mean, no one is above the law. Well, interestingly, that's not what your Democratic colleagues think. When the Democrats thought Russian collusion would be all the rage and they were going to be able to impeach the president on Russian collusion, well, what happened? Well, Democratic senators Rob Menendez, Dick Durbin, and Patrick Leahy demanded they went to the Ukraine, kind of, similar to, kind of similarly to how they're accusing Trump of doing, went to the Ukraine and asked them to continue investigations into President Trump's collusion with Russia. And Mark Thiessen at the Washington Post brought this to light. He reports on a letter written to the Ukraine's prosecutor general from these Democrats that says, quote, we have supported the capacity building process and are disappointed that some in Kiev appear to have cast aside these democratic principles to avoid the ire of President Trump. In other words, we must continue this investigation and we want you to do it. And then they demanded that the prosecutor general in the Ukraine, quote, reverse course and halt any efforts to impede cooperation with this important investigation. Huh. So tell me, Nancy Pelosi, should you be investigating your colleagues in the upper chamber? Of course, she's not going to do it. Because why? Well, this has nothing to do with the phone call. This has nothing to do with asking the Ukrainians for something. Instead, they are simply throwing up their hands and they're saying, well, we don't know what else to do. We got to impeach the guy and we don't know how to do it. We investigated Russia. Nothing came up. We investigated payments to Stormy Daniels. Nothing came up. We investigated his business dealings with the alleged emoluments violations. Nothing came up. So we don't really know what else to do. We don't know how to get him, but we need him impeached. But he hasn't committed any impeachable offenses. So this is our closest bet. All right. This whole Ukrainian scandal. And you know what? On the side, we'll continue and investigate the other stuff with the hopes that maybe something else damning will come up. I mean, this notion that they are outraged by the suggestion of an investigation into your political opponent is absurd considering the whole wiretapping issue, considering that Hillary Clinton literally paid for a document in order to justify wiretapping and spying on and investigating in her political opponents and the Democrats' political opponents. And now they want to pretend, oh, this is outrageous. So what they're going to do is they're going to investigate it and they're going to charge the president. But strategically, how does this make sense? They're going to charge the president with impeachment. And then what? 
They don't have the votes in the Senate to actually get the president out of office because, of course, the way it works is that what you do is you levy impeachment charges in the House. But then in order to convict him, they would need a two thirds majority in the Senate to convict him. So what's the game plan here to alienate voters? Because voters are not in favor of impeachment. And according to 538, the two polls in the database conducted since Mueller's testimony to Congress on July 24th showed 33.5 percent in favor of impeachment. Compare that to 59.5% who are against impeachment. And then a Quinnipiac poll found that independent voters are mostly against impeachment. 62% opposed it compared to 28% who are in favor of it. And this is from NPR, you know, NPR, a bastion of right-wing commentary. The truth is impeachment has almost never been popular. It tends to pump up the partisans in either party, but has far less allure for the less politically inclined. Independent voters, it should be noted, have been especially slow to take up the impeachment cry. So, again, I'm not sure what the game plan is here, because they're not going to get him out of office via this impeachment process. But in the process of doing this stuff, they're going to alienate the American people. So, I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining about this because this is great news for Republicans. Trump, who is massively popular among Republicans, are going to benefit from these impeachment hearings. So, I, I, I mean, there's no strategy here. What I believe it is, is that they are being driven mad. They hate our Republican system because it did not provide the results they wanted in 2016. And so they feel entitled to have their choice of person in office. You know, the elites, they don't think it's fair. They don't think it's just that the American electorate would choose someone whom they deemed to be unworthy of office. It should be up to us elites, not the American people, to choose who is, sits in the Oval Office. And so they're trying to smash down our systems of governance in order to achieve the results they want. And they know they cannot win in 2020, and so they are trying to use extra constitutional methods to get them out of office. I mean, how else can you just, how else can you explain they're doing this 14 months before, he, before the 2020 elections? No, it's not strategic. It's brutish. It's authoritarian. They've simply gone mad. And I got to be honest with you, it's a joy for us to watch because, like I said, Republicans will ultimately benefit, it, benefit from it in the end. All right. Puberty blockers. That's a fun topic. It's sick. But remember just a couple of weeks ago, vaping caused a tiny handful of deaths and the country freaked out. It was the biggest deal in the world and the administration rushed to ban it in order to protect the kids. So if we're trying to protect the kids from dying, why are we not looking into banning puberty blockers, puberty blocking drugs that are being prescribed to children who want to change their genders? These drugs aren't linked to just a handful of deaths. These drugs are linked to thousands of deaths. They are linked to drugs used as puberty blockers for gender-confused kids. I mean, folks, this is madness. We're pumping kids. We're pumping children full of drugs that are meant to prevent puberty, that are meant to prevent the completely natural process of nature of puberty. It's obviously incredibly harmful. You just have to use common sense to figure that one out. So thank God a few medical professionals are beginning to speak out about this. Paul McHugh, a renowned psychiatrist from Johns Hopkins University, told the college fix that he believes transgender people are being experimented on because the doctors treating transgender patients with hormones don't have the evidence that the treatment will be the right one. And then he criticized the manner of treatment given to many children who claim to be transgender. And McHugh thinks that eventually our society is gonna look back on this craze 
and they're going to look back on it as something, quote, of an historical shame. He says, I believe it will be something like how we think of eugenics now. We will come to regret it when we discover how many of the young people that were injured regret it themselves, not to mention the suicide rates. So in the UK, in recent years, five clinicians have resigned from the UK's GIDs, that's their Gender Identity Development Service, citing pressure to refer minors for puberty-blocking drugs without sufficient clinical assessment. And who's pressuring them? Who's pressuring them to give this to the kids? Well, I don't think you need to be a genius to realize that they're throwing away the opinions of doctors and experts, and you know those are the people who actually know what they're talking about, and those people, the doctors, are being forced to bow down to politicians who don't know what they're talking about. More than 26,000 of the events associated with hormone blockers, uh, this, the hormone blockers are called luprolide acetate and triptorolin, were classified by the US Food and Drug Administration as serious, and they included 6,370 deaths. So that's about one in four. About one in four of the serious events associated with these drugs that they're pumping into the kids was the person dying. So you'd think there would be enough evidence to say, hey, you know what, maybe we should just stick to the intended use of these drugs. These drugs are intended actually not to block puberty. They're actually intended to, uh, to treat prostate cancer and prevent uterine pain in adults. So let's not give these puberty blocking drugs to children anymore. You would think that would be the common sense reaction to this many people dying over them, but nope because common sense is dead. And instead, quote, the practice recently gained the endorsement of the Endocrine Society and the American Academy of Pediatrics. The American Society of Pediatrics endorsed this drug that is killing kids. I mean, this is clown world. And if you're still not convinced, I should say has the potential to kill kids, but it's still clown world. And if you're still not convinced, give you a bit of more data. Quote, because the drugs are relatively new, their long-term effects have yet to be fully determined, but one 2018 study of long-term risks of puberty blockers from researchers at Boston Children's Hospital found that while side effects of the drug are advertised to resolve three to six months after stopping treatment, in actuality, the majority of subjects reported long-term side effects, while almost one-third reported irreversible side effects that persisted for years after discontinuing treatment. I mean, the adults, the wise ones, the ones who are supposed to be protecting our kids are actually failing our kids. I have no doubt that this will absolutely be looked back on as aberrant and backwards and evil. And I, I don't even know what it's gonna take for people to wake up and see how bad the situation actually is. But I pray, I hope something changes soon because children are being tortured and potentially killed at the hands of the adults who are supposed to be protecting them. A reminder to everyone, I'd really appreciate it if you'd please rate, review, and subscribe to the White House Brief Podcast. It will make sure the truth rises above all the other stuff out there. So please rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening.